Matthew chapter 8, we'll look at verse 18 through 22 to begin with. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Okay? How do you think that guy felt? Um, again, Jesus' words many times are, are seemingly harsh. Interesting thing in this chapter, the first two or three stories that we looked at in Matthew chapter 8 were miracles. We looked at the leper that Jesus healed, and then the centurion came because, to Jesus because his servant was sick, and Jesus spoke the word, and the servant was healed. He didn't even go to the house. And things, some verses that we didn't look at were Jesus went back to Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Uh, and had a fever, and so he prayed for her, touched her, she was healed, and many people came to the house, and he healed them all. And then we have Jesus doing a little bit of teaching on discipleship, and then we have some more miracles that happen. And so it's like miracle, miracle, teaching on discipleship. Miracle, miracle, teaching, teaching on discipleship. It was kind of a pattern here. And we did say that there are... No, let me just... Let me just I'll, I said this last week, and I'll say this again. Please don't worry about the little children. <laughs> we love that. That is music. That is, please, it is music to our ears. Don't feel bad at all. We love children. I love children. Amen. Amen. Um, that does not bother me. It's kind of an encouragement. It's, an, it's a real encouragement. Um, anyway. Yeah, don't feel like, oh my gosh, i got to do something. Just adding their amens to what the word that is being spoken. Why would Jesus put teachings on discipleship in the midst of miracles? And there's a, there's a contrast that perhaps he was pointing out. And the contrast is that the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, when he came to earth, he had authority over demons... He had authority over nature. He had authority over storms. He had authority over physical things. But one thing he doesn't have authority over is the human will. It's the only thing that he can't command to change, which is interesting, isn't it? And so, miracle, miracle, teachings on discipleship. Miracle, miracle, teaching on discipleship. He would just speak a word and disease would go. He would just touch the leper, and the leprosy was gone. And so there was an authority that Jesus had and that he spoke with, and yet when it came to discipleship, there had to be teaching and training because many people come to Christ and believe him, trust him as their Savior, but very few actually become disciples or very few last as disciples. And if you study the teachings on Jesus... He at times makes it very difficult, even his harsh words, words here. Uh, another disciple said, Lord, let, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Like, I don't really give a rip about your father. It's, I mean, isn't that way the way it feels? It feels that way. And so 
I think the point that Jesus is making is that he understands that discipleship is going to cost you something. Discipleship is not easy. Discipleship is hard. Discipleship is not that it's just going to, it will cost you something. It will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. You need to lay everything down in order to follow Jesus. If you want to follow me, as if Jesus was saying, if you want to follow me, it will require something of you for me to pour my life into you. He's not going to pour himself into someone who is only half-hearted about it. And so he comes to us and says, if you want to be a disciple, this is what it's going to take. And he uses a metaphor of spiritual death. We'll talk about this a little bit later on too. Uh, Spiritual death. He's saying, let the dead bury their own dead. And he's saying, those that are spiritually dead, let them go. Why does he talk about that in that kind of way? Anyone who is dead is unresponsive. Unresponsive, okay? So the folks that are spiritually dead are unresponsive to Jesus. They're unresponsive to his teachings, to his calling. And he's saying, you need to just, in order to be a disciple, you need to move on and just... Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to reach them. But we can't be concerned with them. We need to follow Jesus. And it will cost you something. In Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. But you were made alive. And so he's saying, follow me and I will give you words. I will give you teaching. I will give you training so that you can reach those that are spiritually dead. But right now, let the dead bury their own dead and learn from me. I was thinking about this and, and, and the cost of being a disciple. And, and just for a moment, I began to think about my own life and my own decision to follow the Lord. And it came when I was about 18 years old, 19 years old. When God got a hold of me, I was raised in the church, but I walked away from it. It didn't make sense to me for a long time when I was a teenager. And I actually used to tell the Lord to just let me alone. Would you just let me alone and let me do my own thing? But when I was around 18, I, I, gave my heart to the, I really gave my heart to the Lord and began to follow him. And I said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. Boy, is that a dangerous statement. Do you know what happens when you say, Lord, I'll give you my life? He takes it. He takes it. And all of a sudden, all of the plans that you thought you had for yourself are kind of down the drain. And he, he does what he wants in your life. And you may think that you know where you're going or where you're going to be. And I can think of so many things in my life where I thought I knew what I wanted and thought I was headed in the right direction. And he just either closed the door or redirected. I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I really want to help people, so I'm going to be a... Uh, a psychologist and a counselor. I'm going to be a counselor. That's what I'm going to study. So I went to college, and he closed the door for college, and I didn't finish college. And so I waited, and I knew that, I, I knew that God wanted me in ministry somehow, and I thought it would be Christian counseling, but it wasn't that. And so we were always involved in ministry of church, and I waited, 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 and God gave an opportunity for me to finish my college education. A man that I knew paid for me to go back to school, and I got a degree in church ministries which is like 
it's just one step below pastoral ministry in, in college. So I got a bachelor of science degree with a, with a man that knew me, just said, I'll, I'll pay for it if you want to do the work. So I, I said, okay. So I had my bachelor's degree. I thought, okay, now I can get a master's degree in psychology and counseling. So I headed in that direction, and the Lord said, nope, you're not going there either. And he just shut the door. He just shut the door. I'm like, okay, where do I go now? And people would tell me from time to time, have you ever thought about being a pastor? No. 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 That's not me. I'm not, I'm not made of that fabric. You know, that's just not, not going to work for me. Um, met a, a man who was a counseling psychologist and got to know him, and, and he, he said, Kent, what, what is it you want to do? I said, I, I would love to be a counselor. He said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you some tests. You take these tests. I'll even pay for them to see what you're suited for. And he said, if you're really suited, if this comes out, I mean, there were, it was quite a massive amount of testing that I took. He comes back to me, and he says, Kent, have you ever thought of being a pastor? Well, and by that time, I said, yes, I have, but no, I don't want to be a pastor. Pastors are like, they, they want to do that Greek and Hebrew study, and they're, they, they, they like to talk in front of people, and you can't keep them quiet. And I'm normally, in a group of people, I'm quiet. I don't, I don't say a whole lot. I'm not like that. I said, I just don't see myself as being a pastor. Thank you very much. Sorry that that didn't work out. <laughs> and so I could see myself as a... An assistant pastor, working underneath somebody, not the, not the lead guy, but working under, that's, that's what I, you know, that's, Lord, that's how I see it, okay? Just so you and I are on the same page, that's how I see it. And so the Lord began to teach Artie and I some things about, about Scripture. We started to learn about spiritual warfare. We started to learn about healing, prayer, worship, and he began to change us and take us from a, a conservative evangelical, moving us into the things of the Spirit, and so we visited a church for a year. We went to this church to learn spiritual warfare, to learn deliverance ministry. We opened up to worship. We opened up to the gifts of the Spirit, and things are really going all. You know, okay, it's time to come back in the valley, and the last thing that I want to do is be involved in a church that is a denomination. I want like an independent church or a, uh, just, a, just a different kind of a church. And he brought us here. This is a Southern Baptist church, folks. We're associated with them, but, and I'm thinking, and he just made it so clear that this is where we're supposed to be. And I'm like, God, this is not like my roadmap. What, what is this about? Um, so we came to this church, and, and things were not necessarily going well for those that were here. And things were going downhill, and eventually, after we were here about four or five years, the pastor left. And another fellow and I began preaching, alternating Sundays, preaching. And after a little while, the church said, would you be our pastor? We can hire you part-time. And people would ask me, are you called to the ministry? Are you called to be a pastor? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't hear that. I know, God, I know I want to be in ministry, but I never saw myself as that. So after a while, after two years part-time, I, the church took me on full-time, and I've been full-time since then, and that was 17 years ago. 
And so, and God has allowed us to, to make changes and, and have impact, this little, this little body have impact in the valley. That was not my plan. It was not my plan. That was not my, you hear, you hear what I'm saying? That was not my plan. It was God's plan. And so to be a disciple means that you're willing to give up your rights. One of the hardest things that we did for Artie was to leave the church that we were in. It was her family church. It was a church that her father, her grandfather, had basically brought back to life. And he, they were the main family. But for her to leave that church, to leave her family, to say to her family, basically, we're moving on. That's huge. It's huge. And it was hard. And uh, uh, she was having a particular struggle with, with certain things with this new phase that we were in. And we drove to church an hour to church one morning. And even our kids, our kids were little. And, and even the, the children that were in the church weren't necessarily kind and welcoming to our kids. So it was tough for our kids too. So we would pack lunches because it was an hour drive home and we'd get done at 12, 12.30, 1 o'clock and we'd get in the car, come home so the kids could eat. And back in the day, this is like 91, 90, 91, I'm just sitting there listening because she was having, she was just struggling with it. It was, it was new, it was different. It was hurtful. It was hard to leave the old church. So we got home and I went into the bedroom and I closed the door and I got down on my knees and said, God, what am I supposed to do? You know, have I done the wrong thing? And he said, just love her. I said, okay, I can do that. So I got up and went out, went to get some lunch and she just looked at me. I can still see that look. And she said, were you talking to God about me? I said, yeah. She said, what did he say? He said, I'm just supposed to love you. And it broke her heart. And it changed everything. And I'm telling you, when you, when you give your life to the Lord and say, I want to follow you, I want to, do, I want to be your disciple, it's not easy. But it is an adventure. And he calls us to an adventure. He calls us to a place of following him that is so different it's not going to always make sense. As a matter of fact, it rarely makes sense. He doesn't want it to make sense to us necessarily because he wants us to trust him and to follow him by faith and to do what he calls us to do. And so Jesus is trying to make a point, and sometimes his points are rather emphatic and rather pointed, but I think that he wants us to just stop in our tracks and think about what we're doing or what we're not doing or just get us to go beyond where we've been and to really wrestle with things. He's not opposed to us wrestling with him. Wrestling with what he wants to do with our lives. Matter of fact, I think he rather enjoys it. I think he enjoys someone who at least has some spunk to them. You know? Somebody that at least, wait a minute, what are you doing? I didn't give you permission to do this. I didn't, this isn't what I thought. And I think he just chuckles because he knows what we really want deep in our hearts and he's just trying to get us there. He knows what's best for us and he's willing to risk 
He's willing to risk the relationship and our thoughts toward him to get us there because he knows that he can. He knows that he will. And so Jesus is just making sure that we know that being a disciple means we're going to have to, when he says, if you don't hate your mother and father, your brother, your sister, your children, more than me, I mean, if you don't hate them, you can't be my disciple. And I think what he means is you have to love him primarily above all the others. Primarily, first of all, Jesus first in everything. Then you, then you qualify to uh, junior discipleship <laughs> because there are more of those things along the way. Sometimes you have to leave home. And the other thing that you have to do is join him on his mission. It's his mission. It's not our mission. And so he gets to set the parameters. He gets to set uh, the boundaries. He gets to set the agenda. And so he tells the folks who followed him down the mountain and across the lake, if you want to be a disciple, it's going to be a tough, a tough thing. So he gets into the boat, verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied to them, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. They still didn't understand who he was. They didn't really understand very much about him. And he just speaks to the storm and it's quiet. He says, he just told them it's tough to be a disciple. They go out on the lake and they face a storm and they think they're going to die in the storm. If you want to be a disciple, guess what? I said this before. You're putting a big target on your back. You're putting a big red X. Say, here I am. Trouble, come get me. <laughs> storms will come our way. If we're going to be a disciple, storms will come our way. They will. They're going to come. Matter of fact, Jesus I think he probably prayed up on the mount and said, Father, I think the guys need a storm. And the reason that that storm came is so that they could see that Jesus was asleep in the boat and the storm didn't bother him. And he just spoke a word and said, Peace, be still, and the storm calmed. And the lesson that he wants us to learn in this is that there needs to be peace in us so that no matter what storm comes, we stay in that peace. Jesus had peace within him, and so the storm did not bother him. He wasn't even a little bit concerned about it. These guys were fishermen. He was a carpenter. (laughs) He wasn't necessarily used to being out in a boat on a lake all the time. They were, and so they must have been in storms before. And Jesus wants us to learn to walk in peace and not just wait for the storm to be over to walk in peace. How many of us are like that? 
the trouble comes. Lord, help me get out of this. Oh, finally, it's over. Good. Now I can. Now I have peace. No, he wants peace in the storm. See, it was the peace that was in Jesus that actually calmed the storm. You can't. You can't influence the things around you if it's not within you. Peace has to be in you so that you can spread peace where you go. And you don't wait for God to deposit. As a matter of fact, if you're in turmoil, you're taking turmoil with you. No, none of us do that, though, right? Don't do that. Never happens. We used to pray a prayer for, for Ben. Our, our youngest son would, at times would have trouble getting to sleep, and so Artie would read him Psalm 4. It says, Now I'll... I will lie down in peace and sleep. <laughs> We'd speak peace over him so he can get to sleep. So, uh, peace doesn't come from the absence of storms. It comes from the presence of faith in God who's within us. And so, that peace comes as we grow in our relationship with the Lord and we allow him to grow faith in us. And as we encounter storms and we overcome storms one at a time, we learn to to rest in his sovereignty and you never know where you're going to end up. I think about my journey and where, where I am now Never would have dreamed. Verse 28, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him, and they were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. You come here to torture us before the appointed time, and some distance from them a large herd of pigs was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. And those tending the pigs ran off and went into the town and reported all this, including, all, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. It's another picture of the spiritually dead. They were more concerned about their pigs than the fact that the Savior had come. They were more concerned about the pigs than the two men who were delivered from that demonic oppression. They were more concerned about their livelihood than the one that came with authority. That dealt with that issue, that demonic issue that threatened their safety. Those men were not containable. They would tie them with chains or chain them with chains and they would break free. And they were terrorizing the place. Notice that Jesus landed at the place that was a graveyard. That's where they landed. That's where the the men lived. And the people said, please don't stay here, go. Why? 
Because those that are spiritually dead are unresponsive to spiritual things. They can't hear. They can't see. And so we see another another, uh, example of Jesus coming. Not only did he calm the storm with peace, but he walks onto the land where these two incredibly possessed, demon-possessed men came. No one could contain them, and Jesus comes. And does he upset? He's not upset. He's at peace. Do you hear me? He's at peace. He doesn't fear the enemy. He'll take us to that place as well where we don't fear the enemy. And they, they, they address him and they say, are you come to torture us before it's time? Don't send us into the abyss. Send us into the pigs. Uh-huh. Jesus walked with such authority. And he was a man, and he was God, but he set aside the attributes of of his godhood. But he walked in such intimacy with the Father that when he just stepped onto the land, these two men recognized him right away. They recognized his authority and said, please don't send us into the abyss, send us into the pigs. They're asking Jesus for mercy. And so he did does, and they rush down, and all the, the swine, the herd of pigs is drowned. And two men are set free. And you wonder how people who came out then, they went into town. Folks ran into the town and said, you've got to see this. The two men are set free. All the pigs are drowned. But the, the two guys that were demonic, demonically tormented are free. They told them that part of the story that didn't impress the people of the town. They just lost their pigs. There's something that Jesus wants us to know and understand in in our walk with him. In verse 27, it says that the men, his disciples, were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This was something new for them. They said, what is this about him? Who is this guy? They had seen other miracles. They had seen the leper cleanse. They had seen the centurion's servant was healed. Other miracles that Jesus did. And then he calms the storm and he says, who is this guy? If we follow Jesus in discipleship, if we pursue him, if we make that decision to give him control of our lives, you know what, you know what he does? He reveals new things about himself to us. There's new discoveries all the time about him. New discoveries all the time. You know, they... When I, when I was in school, I won't tell you how long ago that was. They talked about um, the basic substance of life and, and molecules and atoms. And they could see that atoms were made up of different parts, of protons, neutrons, and nucleus. And they said, this is the smallest particle there is. Until they learned to dig a little deeper 
And they found that there's smaller particles than that. And they said, these are the smallest particles. And so they learned to dig a little deeper. And, well, these are the smallest particles. And it seems that as we increase in our ability to find things or to, to look, we just see more and more and more. Or they said, the universe is this big. And then they get a better telescope. Well, it's this big. Well, it's even bigger than we thought. That's, and the universe is finite. And Jesus is infinite. And so how much is there to discover about him? How much does he have that he wants to reveal to us? And so sometimes we get caught up in our own lives and our own things, and if we really haven't laid it down, then we can't really follow him, and we don't really experience the things that he wants us to experience in our relationship with him because we're so worried about the things that we're worried about. But what would it be like if we really gave him control of our lives and said, Lord, you can do whatever you want with me, and I just want to know you. I just want to know you. I just want to experience you in every way that I'm supposed to be able to experience you. Well, we really don't know. We really don't know what it's going to cost us, but it will cost us everything. And the way that you know that you haven't given everything is that when things happen and you get your nose out of joint, you get upset. Like, God, what are you doing now? I never thought you would do that. But he does because he's taking us deeper. He's taking us to a place where we can know him more intimately and more fully. And he will reveal more of himself to us. And the question this morning is, have you made a decision to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you have, are you still following him? Are you still pursuing him? Have you counted the cost? There's no end to the adventure. There's no end to the surprises that come. There's no end to the revelations that he, that he gives. But he does want us to know going into it that our eyes need to be wide open and understanding.